Hi, this is Zoe Routh, and this is the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. I help CEOs and their teams deal with the tough stuff, the people stuff in leadership. If that's you, if you've got some tough people stuff and you'd love to have a conversation about what you can do about it, feel free to book a chat with me at zoerouth.com. Just click on contact, put in your details, and we can have a conversation about your leadership strategy. What's working, what's not. No obligation, no salesy stuff, just a real sharp conversation about what you can do next. In the meantime, we have an extraordinary leader with a wealth of experience across business, military, not-for-profits, and the information and communications technology sector. We had a great deep dive into change and uncertainty. He talks about how to put certainty into uncertainty. What you absolutely need to have in a business when it comes to dealing with chaos, the critical component needed to lead change effectively, and how to manage a passive-aggressive staff member. My guest name is Stuart Althaus. He is an experienced CEO. He and the CEO of SME Gateway. I've known Stuart for a couple of years now, and he leads a very complex business, well, a very simple business in a complex environment, I should say. Uh, it's a team responsible for the collaboration and successful provision of services between small medium enterprises to defense, primary industry, federal and state government entities. So he's all about building relationships and managing different conversations. Just a little follow-up note on the audio quality. Given that we are all working from home and the very variability in internet reliability is not always fabulous, uh, we had some challenges a little bit with the audio. So it may not be as crisp and clean as we usually like it. So apologies in advance for that. Stuart's message is awesome. His stories are great. He's got a wealth of information. So please persevere. And thank you for your understanding. Please welcome Stuart. Let's do it. Stuart, so wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Zoe. I'm uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> you look like a weary leader. You've gone through a lot the last couple of weeks. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, uh, the team is going well, and uh, they've weathered um, bushfires, hailstorms, a bit of rain, and, and now we're in uh, COVID-19, and uh, we're all working from home. And uh, I manage uh, with nine squares on my on my screen, which is really quite uh, an unusual way to be doing things these days. Nine squares meaning the nine people in your team. Yes, yes, exactly. So um, as you work work up, you uh, are working with the executive team, and uh, with the, the rest of the team, you've got uh, everybody uh, from an operational perspective. So yeah, it makes for an interesting uh, leadership challenge. Yeah, you get used to staring down the the camera lens. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, you, you get you get a, a magnified image of people's faces, which you don't normally get. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Especially de depending on the camera angles. Indeed. So, Stuart, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the podcast is because of your the wealth and depth of your experience as a leader. You've been a leader in military environment, in private industry, and in government. You've also been a director on various not-for-profits. So you've done leadership and experienced leadership in all these different uh, avenues. How do you define leadership? That's a good question. And uh, particularly in these trying times, uh, 
I, I guess one has to be uh, fairly agile in, in what leadership means. The styles don't fundamentally change, but uh, certainly the emphasis uh, does. If I was to, to look at myself, uh, I, I'm certainly not a, an alpha male, if you can call it that. Um, I, uh, I tend to work uh, a lot more collaboratively and uh, work with the team that I have, getting their input, uh, understanding their uh, issues, but also taking on board many of their many and varied uh, ideas that come to the fore and then mould that all together. So that's, that's uh, where the team works up into, into our executive team. And then working into my bigger team, which is the, uh, the other CEOs that I work with, uh, it becomes, uh, again, a very collaborative approach, making sure that everybody's okay uh, in this situation. But uh, it, it is about that whole agile uh, approach to um, working with others and making sure we get the best out of them. Collaboration is not something that people immediately jump into as leaders. I'm curious about when you knew you could actually do leadership, whether it was a collaborative style or some other style. When was the first genesis in your in your mind and experience that, hey, this leadership thing, I could probably do it? Well, it's interesting. As a, as a young staff cadet uh, back in the, uh, I'm going to give my age away, uh, the late 70s, you, you are taught many, many things. Obviously, as a, as a military leader, there is a, a lot of not negotiables. You can't be collaborating as you're uh, facing the enemy and uh, going to take uh, heal X, Y, Z. On the other hand, as you move through your career, you find that uh, getting collaboration out of your people, uh, you're going to get a, a much better, much sounder, uh, and from a change management perspective, a much more quality result from a leadership perspective. Uh, I guess uh, communications is key there, and it's uh, it's then about um, working up and down uh, with, with your teams to make sure that those communications are absolutely crystal clear, that there's no ambiguity, and people understand exactly what has to be done, how it has to be done, and that, uh, more importantly, you're the right person to be taking them on that journey. So as a young cadet, you had much of this revealed to you. Do you remember a particular incident where it sort of was, came home to the forefront, like this is how you need to do it? Well, I guess it's a bit hard when you've got a sergeant major uh, yelling at you because you're not uh, swinging your arms properly. But then as you look at uh, various military historical uh, individuals as, as you're doing the studies, and, and again, when I went through staff college, it does strike you as not everybody has to be that alpha male. Not everybody has to be, you know, uh, let's let's go from the top type thing. It's it really is about adapting to the leadership style that is required at the time. And I think that's the important thing: the agility in in leadership, so that you are not a die cast. I think if you become so totally boxed into a style of leadership, then that uh, does tend to uh, limit you in, in what you, you can achieve. So obviously there are times where you have to say, you know what, team, this is exactly what we're doing. I know you're not going to agree with it, but there's a bigger picture here that uh, you're not aware of. Those sorts of things 
that are really uh, quite important to make sure you get the end result. And knowing when to pull that trigger of, I know you're not going to like it, and here we go, and trying to explain as much of the context, that's something that you kind of learn, I think, experientially by not doing it and having other people come back to you in some sort of hmm, unhappy kind of way. When you look back on your experiences leader across any of the worlds that you've been in, what was the hardest challenge that you faced? Um, I think uh, one of the biggest challenges that I faced was uh, when myself and two other partners in one business did a management buyout and formed another company. And with us, we brought 65 of uh, the individuals that were, were part of our group. We formed that that company and, and effectively it was a startup. And we pulled these 65 people uh, away from a very comfortable existence into uh, something that was uh, really quite uncertain. Uh, there were a lot of unknowns that were associated with uh, how the business would run. And from that, uh, obviously, they, uh, they had to have a job at the end of it. We moved uh, very quickly at the end of 2013, and by by mid 2014, uh, that number had grown to 85. And wow. um, uh, we had secured a number of contracts in our own right. But as a startup, in fact, uh, again, that uncertainty continued all the way through into 15 and 16. I guess, guess the point I'm making there is that the, the challenge was one of change management and, of course, leadership. The three, three of us that uh, uh, were the uh, founders of this organisation, we couldn't have got more different leadership styles if you tried. One, a complete brainiac who had uh, all of the um, accounting uh, and actuarial stuff done, had one who was a completely off the wall extrovert uh, and and knew everybody and anything to do with uh, uh, the IT industry. And then there was myself, who had a military background, very collaborative in, in my approach. And uh, somehow we had to put all of that together and come up with an executive team that was going to bring this, uh, this group along. I can say now that we were very successful and that. Uh, that company is well known both in Canberra and across Australia and now has uh, some 160 employees and is one of uh, Microsoft's top gold partners. So it was successful, but uh, not without its many, many challenges along the way. That's really tough. So you take 65 people out of nice comfortable jobs into a startup, essentially, with three leaders who don't necessarily know how to work well together yet, and have a crack, essentially. <laughs> wow, I'm so I'm curious if, if anything that you learned guiding this uh, startup team through the, all that uncertainty, is this venture going to work? Are they going to have jobs at the end of it? Have you taken anything that you learned through that experience and woven it into your leadership philosophy and applying it now, because if we're going to talk about uncertainty, this is the time where we have not had this much uncertainty in so many different areas of our workplace, not just is my business going to thrive? It's like, will any business thrive? What is the business context going to look like? What are the threads of leadership philosophy that you may have pulled with you, if any, from that time? 
Okay. Uh, again, a great question. One of the things that uh, people don't do well with is uncertainty, as, as you've alluded to. One of the things that we have done, uh, not only at SME Gateway, but as, as part of the larger CEO group that I'm a part of, is that we have actually put in uh, things that are known. So, for example, rather than planning for, as, as some are doing, um, the end of this month, restrictions will be eased, so we'll, we'll therefore start thinking about coming back to work. That is, uh, I think, uh, complete folly, and uh, you know, if you're a project manager, you probably uh, toss it into the category of scope creep. Um, because that just is not going to happen. Uh, so what we've done is we've said, okay, we are now going to plan that we are going to be in this environment until October 1. Now, that's a fair way off. It's not Christmas time and it's not the end of May, but it is at least a stake in the ground that everybody can look at and go, yeah, that's probably reasonable. Then we can start looking at, uh, all of the issues that are associated with um, do we put people on reduced work hours, do we put people on, uh, do we send people on leave, or do we actually take this as an opportunity to enhance our business? So across all of the businesses that uh, I'm a part of, including uh, my own, we're actually looking at this as an opportunity, not as a uh, something that's detrimental to, to our businesses. You've got to bear in mind that most of, well, all of, all of SME Gateway, for example, is uh, run through government contracts. Who's working the most at the moment? Government contracts. Mm. Um, and that's uh, pretty much the same across the board. So from that perspective, if we can give people, A, the certainty that they've got a job, which is really and B, uh, that they've, they've got a stake in the ground that they're going to be operating in this mode for an extended period of time and our aim is to be back on deck on or around the 1st of October. Now, I think that gives people a bit of peace of mind so that they then can focus on their day job instead of worrying about, oh, you know, uh, what are we going to do uh, now? And it's also important that the communications about what it is that we are doing uh, on a weekly basis is, uh, is effectively communicated to our staff, uh, our members and our clients. That, again, is, is a key element of leadership right across the board. I think something that's really important in what you said was how do you actually put certainty in uncertainty? And the first thing you said was you listed the knowns which is putting some container around that fog as the starting point, and then putting in your assumptions, which is our assumption we're going to make is October, and that's sort of our boundary that we've got in there. So some of them are firm boundaries, and then some of them are more flexible, and we list them as assumptions, and we play according to that. The part that I'm really interested in is like, and then choose whether this is you know, a survival approach or this an opportunity approach. And hearing what you said, it's like, well, if we look at the situation, the knowns is that most of the contracts are coming through government. So there's a level of certainty and assurance in there. Part of that helps to then pivot into opportunity. 
Is this thinking about this crisis as an opportunity? Is that something that you honed or something that you had naturally, do you think? Um, look, uh, the whole, what is it, the, the theory of chaos is, is an interesting one. And uh, it's one that the military uses quite regularly as well, uh, both for and against. If you are not prepared for something like this, and, and I suppose I can use uh, the example of a number of organisations that, that do not have business continuity plans. So for those organisations, they've really been caught out. And as a consequence, their assumptions and their loans are going to be significantly different to those that have, have actually uh, got something in place. So, for example, at SME Gateway, we have to have a reliable, bulletproof email system and internet capability for us to function. Right? Is that even um, possible? <laughs> Um, so we have several main ways of, of making that happen. And, and indeed, for us to work remotely is not a problem. We could literally have done that at any stage. We have people working in Brisbane, we have people working in Canberra, and then from time to time we've got uh, obviously uh, contractors that are working in Sydney as well. So I guess when I took over in mid 2015, um, none of that was in place. So, so to make a uh, business continuity plan uh, viable, one has to make sure that firstly it's there and secondly that it's tested. And boy, oh boy, has this tested individuals along the way. But it also requires that agility in the leadership. You can't have, for example, an alpha individual uh, dictating to nine screen, nine boxes on a screen. I mean, it's a very different now type of um, arrangements that need to be put in place, particularly in the communication stuff that uh, needs to go out. People are scared, they're uncertain. And if you don't demonstrate calmness, a very clear understanding that you're, you know what you're doing um, and you have a plan, and that plan goes from, as I said, the 1st of October, but also now working on the extraction plan. So we've been working on getting everybody out as quickly as possible. Now we've got to work out how we bring everybody back in a sensible approach that is, uh, that is going to cater for people's changed environments because you're taking them out from their home now and then putting them back in an office environment and that process may have gone on for two, three, four months. So again, there is going to need to be that change management process uh, that is going to be critical to the success of continuing operation, whichever way you look at it. When you started your own company and you took those 65 comfortable people out into this unknown venture, did you have all these things in place from the from the get-go, the business continuity plan, the what-if plan, or did you build that along the way? I'm, I'm curious, because it makes sense if you're an established business, you have all that. What do you do when you're doing a startup? Well, it's it's really interesting. We were a bit, a bit unusual in that the company that we came from, we had collectively developed a lot of 
maintenance plans and as part of the management buyout, we were allowed to take that IP with us. So that gave us a really good head start uh, in terms of how we tackled all of that. Having said that, we then became a very different sort of company, which was very focused on the Microsoft uh, environment. And it required processes and procedures that were very geared towards that versus professional services type of organisation. So a lot of that work had been done. Uh, had it been tested? Had it been finalised? No. Uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a leap of faith um, going from nice, comfortable, warm surrounds into, into uh, the, the deep abyss but understanding that a lot of the uh, um, phone mattresses were down on the ground uh, um, in the form of, of you know, a lot of those, those things that were together. So not nothing and something was the sensible strategy. So as an entrepreneur, and you've been in business quite a lot, What's your philosophy? Are you a burn the boats kind of leader? Like we're going to do this come hell or high water. I'm going to burn the boats, make sure that we can make it. Or are you a plan B if that doesn't work, a plan C if that doesn't work, or a combination of both? Um, no, I'm definitely not a burn the boats type person. <laughs> I am pretty measured, although I guess I'm considered a, a bit of a risk taker as well. Uh, so back in the early 2000s, I had my own consulting company linked with a marketing and uh, and a call centre located down in Canberra. And uh, when you when you say uh, Plan B, Plan C, my goodness, uh, if you don't have those in train every day, then you will you will crash and burn. And it's the same you know with uh, with SME Gateway. We're undertaking a whole range of new and different strategies that are actually quite exciting. But at the same time, you know, we're playing with some of the big boys that are really quite um, ruthless in some of their approaches. And they see SME Gateway as uh, potentially a, a bit of a threat. And uh, as a result, uh, you know, the, the marketplace is a funny thing. And uh, so, and, and COVID's another thing, you know. You've got to be able to sit there and go pivot, 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 and what that means, both from a, a leadership change management and uh, eventual outcome perspective, all are very, very different in, in those circumstances. So it's very much a, a scenario where that agility is, is just so important. Uh, but I'm definitely not going to burn the boats. <laughs> measured a measured risk taker i think that's a nice description yep uh so you that kind of seeds a little bit some of the answer i'm guessing into this next question is what's your approach to leading change it's obviously not burn the boats it's do do or die um in your approach to change over the years what has worked and what hasn't um i think uh it, it depends on on the team a lot as well as your own individual style i think one of the really important things that I learned very early on, even as a young lieutenant, that communications and communication style, probably more importantly, are critical to the success of what it is that you're trying to achieve. The leadership style is, is such that if you don't 
get those right, then it doesn't matter what you do, whether it is your plan B or burning your boats or your alpha male type scenario, it, it, it's not going to work. So it's really important that you bring those people along on the journey. And that's not just your team, but it's also your peers and providing that understanding of what it is that you're doing, how it is that you're doing it, and what effect that will have on them. That's more important to individuals. Uh, what's in it for me, sort of? And if you, if you play that radio station often enough, you will you'll hear it. Um, the Wiffham radio station, what's in it for me? Yeah. That one. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's, it's really critical that, firstly, you understand what, what is their, their hot buttons uh, and what's going to make them work as an individual. But then as a group, what makes them tick? You know, and I look at my small team and then versus my very large team that I had uh, before, and then I look at, for example, the, the 8,000 individuals that I look after as part of SME Gateways. I mean, every one of them is different, but you put them together and it becomes a very different story about the collective needs and the individual needs. How do you navigate that? I'm curious. Like that that's every leader's one of their challenges. Yes. <laughs> How to navigate the individual needs and the collective needs. How do you balance it? It's really important that uh, as a leader, particularly in a small team, that you understand um, particularly uh, in the military, it's two up, two down in terms of the hierarchy. I know that's very hierarchical and all of that, but it actually makes a lot of sense. There is no way that you, you can, for example, understand each individual's uh, hot buttons when you've got 150 people. So therefore, it is really important that you set up a structure that allows you that management layer to allow them to understand what those hot buttons are. And once you've got that right and you, you've instilled um, a leadership style that is uh, replicated throughout, then you will get the feel of the whole organisation. That's the way I, I've done it in the past. With smaller teams, it's a lot easier because you can actually get to know the, the people a lot better. But that also brings in inherent risks as well because you don't have that organisational infrastructure. You can you can get lost in the weeds, I guess. But where possible, and this is what I do with, with my own team now, I leave that to the ops manager and the uh, general manager, and they look after most of the bits and pieces. I'm used as the escalation point, but again, it's, it's about using that um, leadership style to allow them that freedom of action to, to go on and do what needs to be done. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, similarly, though, if you look uh, two up, that's also really important. You know, we, we always talk about managing up and managing down. It's much more formal in the, in the military context in that official uh, hierarchy down. But you've also got to manage up. So, uh, you know, and, and in my case, uh, you know, I, I do have two up. They're not line management as such, but they are part of the, the group of 
old CEOs that I'm a part of. And it's really important that you understand exactly the same thing that I've just been talking about. And uh, if you get that right, you get intent coming down, and then you can pass on intent out to the rest of the team. So there's there's a real framework to that that uh, has worked for centuries. When you say two up, do you mean two levels up? Yes. Okay, so two levels up, two levels down yep. in, a, in a complex hierarchy. Um, okay, yeah. And you're right. So you need to be able to understand the message that's being decided upon and then communicate that to those who are going to disseminate it. And if you if there's a glitch somewhere in the system, the knock-on effect is huge, I'm guessing. Well, exactly. And that's why it's really important that you make sure that any information, for example, is validated. Uh, the communications channel has uh, a good deal of integrity. So it's really important that the people that you are leading can trust the comms that, that you are delivering to them, not only just from me, but from higher authorities. What's the most challenging people stuff that you've ever had to deal with? Super aggressive. Super aggressive? No, passive aggressive. Passive aggressive. If, if someone's super aggressive, that's easy. You have uh, a million and one techniques to deal with that. When someone is passive aggressive, it then uh, brings into play a whole range of different techniques that you've got to use in order for them to be motivated to go and do things. But if they um, play that passive-aggressive uh, mode, it's often difficult to understand what it is that they are motivated by and and why are they being what appears to be procrastinating on, on whatever it is that they're being asked to do. Those sorts of things. They are the most difficult because they take the most interpretation and uh, you, you can get it quite long. And when you do get it wrong, it's like, ha ha, I, I, I put you out. Yeah, they're, they're the most challenging. Yeah, that, those are pretty tough. It, it comes back to communication. If you don't have above board communication, it's really hard to decipher what's going on. Exactly. Um, mm, so people like to keep their cards hidden and play them to get their own outcomes. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes that, that may not be, their outcomes may not be malicious or bad, but it's not in line with the collaborative uh, approach to a team environment, or indeed it may, may be completely against the strategic direction that you're trying to achieve. And that can be very damaging. So it's really important that, uh, you know, the trust is there that you can then um, derive from. So how did you end up dealing with this? Uh, you deal with you deal with those sort of people in all sorts of different ways. Um, you know, I think the important thing is uh, to try and understand what their element of trust that they don't have in you or don't have in the system or, or whatever it is 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 really all about. Um, the thing really is to uh, to get that level of understanding. Uh, it takes so much time, but if they if that is their personality, full stop, 
understanding, you're going to probably regardless of what you do. So you, there's a lot of second guessing going on. And accordingly, you've got to use other resources that sort of sit around them to make sure that if you are getting a message from them, that it has been validated. So it comes back to what I was saying before. Validation is, is, uh, is absolutely a so I have one last question for you. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? Oh, goodness. There's, there's several. Um, I think Major General A.V. Stretton, who was the, uh, the general who looked after Cyclone Tracy, I interviewed him as a, as a young cadet. And it was really quite daunting. You know, he, he just got out of the Army and uh, having served in Vietnam and was thrown into Cyclone Tracy. I think it was 77, somewhere around there. Might be a bit earlier. But uh, he said to me, firstly, as long as you're true to yourself, don't lie and look after your people. So there were three things that I have taken all the way through from a leadership perspective. And he wrote a book and I wrote a transcript uh, of, of that interview and it's, uh, it's stuck with him. Oh, do and you have I, access to that still? Is that published anywhere? Uh, well, his book is, is available, um, uh, but um, I've got that transcript somewhere. I'm more than happy to, uh, to share that with you. Yeah, if you've got that, that'd be awesome. And what's the name of the book? Do you recall? Oh, I need to look that up. He, he, he was a lawyer uh, at the end. He's now passed, but uh, he's a lawyer down the South Coast. And, uh, but look, there's been plenty of leaders in, in, in my life uh, as well. You know, Major General Neville Smithhurst was was another, uh, an amazing leader. Uh, and there's only recently passed. He was a soldier, soldier, and, and most certainly um, did not muck around. Again, a Vietnam veteran, but uh, one of those individuals that uh, really and women fantastic men in the generic yes 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 all of that and then uh throughout uh throughout my civilian career there's been uh, a number of uh, dr graham pratt he's uh ex-military officer but he's uh he and i were in business together as was uh um, Diamond. And, and again uh, exemplars of different leadership styles and uh, how effective they can be as part of uh, bringing a team together, uh, ensuring success, and then coming out the other end with everybody feeling good about themselves. And we can do that as leaders. I think we're doing an ace job, you know, given given what we've got um, on our plates at the moment. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's, that's the, the really important thing, you know. My, my team get together at... Um, 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and uh, every day uh, just checking in, making sure everything's uh, good to go. And it's not just about the work stuff, it's about you know, somebody's had uh, uh, chickens in their, in their living room or, you know. What? Uh, Why do they have chickens in their living room? Because they do. Um, on uh, purpose? Oh, they live on a farm. So, okay. Uh, so you've got all of those those things that that are now becoming a connecting line uh, with the rest of the team, and it's uh, it's really quite important. So.
So, um, uh, and that will go on ad infinitum until this craziness is over. I suspect part of that will main, you'll maintain as part of your cultural practice in yes. some shape or form. <laughs> Stuart, thank you so much. It was awesome mining your experience for some uh, gold nuggets to share with the audience. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. There's some really cool stuff in there. Probably for me, the key takeaways were make sure you have a business continuity plan and test it. <laughs> That's, I think I put that on the to-do list straight away. I love the idea about being a measured risk taker. I think this is a fundamental philosophy and approach and strategy to take as a leader. I think that's really, really useful. And I'm thinking about the two up, two down concept. How, what are the messages that we're thinking of and sending around? And do we really know the people two up, two down? All right, hope you enjoyed that. In the meantime, live well, lead well.